about this but given that trail shoes are pretty uncomfortable and that this race is a mixture of trail bog mountain forest rock basically everything i decided i would experiment with the road shoes and that was definitely to my detriment not a good idea so if i had brought my trail shoes and put them in a drop bag that would have been great but i didn't <laughs> Hello and welcome to No Finish Line podcast featuring athlete interviews and discussion on running, training, travelling and adventure. And I'm your host, John O'Regan. This episode is sponsored by Great Outdoors, Ireland's premier outdoor retailer. You'll find them online at www.greatoutdoors.ie. You will also find all the previous episodes of the podcast on their website or you can listen back on any of the usual platforms. This podcast will be in three parts. The first one is going to feature an athlete that had a DNF, that's a did not finish. The second one is going to feature an athlete that finished the race. We're going to talk about the different approaches that both of these athletes had and see if we can figure out why one finished and why the other didn't. Then we will also be talking to the winner of the race and to talk about the strategies that he applied to give him the successful finish. I'm going to start with Andy Reynolds as I think there can be more to learn from someone who failed in their attempt as they may have learned the reasons why they went wrong. This was something I did when preparing for my first big ultra, the Marathon des Sables. I spoke to previous competitors, some finishers, but I also spoke to those that weren't as successful and I found that there was more to be learned from those that didn't finish than the ones that did finish. You won't always know what went right, but you will definitely know what went wrong. Andy, I've known you for quite a few years. I think it, it could be 20. We first ran together in the Marathon des Sables back in 2003. Since then, you have completed a race in the Namib Desert. You have done the Yukon Arctic Ultra. You've done numerous uh, local ultramarathons. How many times have you taken part in the Kerry Ultra? This was um, number five. And you haven't finished the race yet? No. Andy, can you talk us about the build-up to your race? What way was your training in the months beforehand? To be honest, John, it was normally um, as if I was training just for a very long road race. Because I live in town, I don't get to go up the mountains that often. So most of my hill runs would have been on hills around Waterford. Beyond that, pretty much just as if it was, yeah, just like I say, it was like I was training for a normal marathon. Uh, just slightly further on the long runs. And I did a few double runs um, on, you know, Saturdays and Sundays. Kind of 20 plus, maybe 18 the following day or, or the other way around. Now, what did you do the day before the race? Um, drove down to Kerry early, registered between five and seven in the in the store in, in Kerry, and um, went back to the hotel, got a few uh, bits and pieces of food up in the local shop, and off to bed early, um, and prepared the pack just to double check everything was correct, and uh, went to bed early, and that was it. Yeah. What was your pre-race meal the night before, and what time did you go to bed at? Uh, went to bed around ten. Pre-race meal wasn't great because the hotel didn't have um. A restaurant, so really it was um, it was pretty much pop noodles and pop pasta. And what time did you get up at the next morning? Um, well, the race starts at six, so I was up about four forty-five a.m. Yeah, yeah. Do you reckon you were at the start line rested? Rested enough, yeah. I wasn't, yeah, pretty rested, yeah, yeah. Can you talk me through your race from when the race started? Did you get caught up in the adrenaline when the gun went off, or did you just settle into your own pace? Yeah, well, with that race, everybody kind of tends to take off like a hare at the beginning, and they obviously don't realise what's coming further down the road. 
But having said that, the first few miles were flat up as far as Torque Waterfall at the far end of the National Park. So really, at the very beginning, everybody does take off fairly quickly. And yes, I did get caught up with that because I didn't want to be left behind. Um, I didn't. Yeah, I just I just didn't want to get left behind by everybody. So I kept up with them. Yeah, yeah. Up in the middle of the pack. At what stage into the race were you out on your own? Or were you ever on your own? Um, yeah, you're on your own an awful lot of it. I mean, you may only have a mile or a few hundred metres between competitors, but then again, you won't always see them because of the undulations of the uh, of the actual course, given that it is very hilly and forested and also mountainous as well. So, yeah, a lot of the time you are on your own, particularly th- as the, the further you into the race, obviously everybody has their own pace, so everybody separates through the, throughout the field, so, yeah. And what about navigation? Is it a race with which you'd need navigation or are, are the waymarked signs fairly obvious? The For me, the navigation is okay because obviously I know the route at this stage pretty much back to back. Um, but uh, no, generally speaking, the navigation is about as good as you get in Wicklow with the little yellow men. Now, they do insist you have um, a GPS tracker on you. So if you go off course, they ring you. They also insist you have maps but uh, I probably wouldn't be the best map reader in the world having said that. But you don't really need to be because a lot of the parts of the course are pretty obvious. Talk me through your gear. Can you explain what was in your bag, what size bag you had and anything else? I had a medium size um, bag with, I tend to carry the water bottle in my hand, no bladder pack. The gear that was in the bag, well, there's a pretty long uh, list of compulsory gear from, obviously you need a torch, a very powerful torch actually some bits of food um a proper rain jacket obviously um rain pants uh spare socks and um tr- obviously fully charged mobile phone a whistle a safety blanket plasters compete the usual kind of stuff you'd need in one of those races now having said that you also have drop bags throughout the carryway so anything extra you want you can pick up and how was the weather during the race did you actually need your rain jacket Yes, it poured out of the heavens for about the first six hours. Absolutely bloody lashed down rain. So after that, after that, the skies cleared. And yeah, it was probably one of the better um, better ones this year because um, it was relatively cool and uh, it stayed dry throughout the night, which is probably the first time I can remember that happening in a good while. And how confident were you this year in comparison to other years? I was very confident this year, but obviously probably overly confident because I didn't finish. Hard to know where I went wrong, really, um, other than just general fatigue. I'm not great on sleep deprivation, and by 2 o'clock in the morning, I was probably a good few miles outside of Waterville, and suddenly a wave of sleep came over me, and I had to lie down the road and just look up at the sky and just kind of doze for a few minutes. After that, I was okay, got as far as Car Daniel. Down in Car Daniel, four other guys dropped out. I went back out to continue on as far as Schneem, but once I felt the cold all of a sudden again at four o'clock in the morning or whatever time it was five o'clock i just went ah look that's not i've had it that's enough when you got that feeling of your race is over did you stop immediately or did you try and fight that i did try and fight it yeah i did try and fight it this year yeah yeah for how long (laughs) for how long i'd say about five minutes it's not a nice feeling like i said when i got to car daniel they had a parish hall which was lovely and warm and dry and all the rest of it and um, I sat down there for a few minutes and I really, I got up again, but I, I couldn't just, there was a big mountain in front of me, I couldn't face it. The next stop was Sneem, which is probably over 20 miles away. And I knew if I got that far, um, I was out anyway because, um, yeah, I was just, I was just exhausted. Now, just when you mentioned sleep deprivation, how is your sleep patterns on a day-to-day basis? Do you get a good night's sleep? Pretty much get a good night's sleep, yeah. I get about seven, seven or eight hours generally, yeah, yeah. 
so you wouldn't have been sleep deprived arriving at the start line? Well, I would have been a little bit sleep deprived, but um, not 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 a huge amount. No, I would have slept pretty good the night before. The night before, had you yeah. a support crew? No support crew. No, no, that might have been a bad idea. Yeah, yeah. Do you think that would make a difference? I think, from what I've been told, support crew on on that on a race that length makes a huge difference. A huge difference. Yeah. Is there anything that you didn't have that you wish you did? The only thing I really um. I kind of did an experiment this year, and people might laugh about this, but given that trail shoes are pretty uncomfortable and that this race is a mixture of trail, bog, mountain, forest road, basically everything, I decided I'd, I'd experiment with the road shoes, and that was definitely to my detriment. Not a good idea. So if I had brought my trail shoes and put them in a drop bag, that would have been great, but I didn't. Okay, well, that's a good takeaway for anybody listening in and planning on doing the race next year. Road shoes, a definite no. Maybe trail shoes should be down as part of the mandatory kit for these races, would you think? Yeah, I think, in fairness to the organisers, they'd expect most people would have the sense to have trail shoes. And I, generally speaking, do, but I just thought I'd try something different. Because don't forget, a lot of the race is on road. So trail shoes are uncomfortable on road, so, yeah. But that's where the support crew comes in. People will have a mixture of both and they can alternate. Yeah. Okay, so you're at a disadvantage. You were playing the cards that you had. You weren't able to call on anything else. I just remembered something very funny that happened here in a race a few years ago, same race that I did. We had stopped at a checkpoint in the mountains, snowing. Your feet were saturated, and you had to dry your feet off. Your shoes were just soaking because you had been marching in this heavy snow. You left them beside a fire. You went into a cabin to try and get a bit of heat. And when you come back out, somebody had taken your shoes and left their shoes that were so smaller. Yeah, that's right. That was one of the German guys in the, the Yukon Arctic Ultra, yeah. So we'd been on our feet for 36 hours and I went to bed and you guys all left me. And when I woke up in his confused state, he had taken my right shoe and left me a size 8 or size 7, which I had to finish with because there was no other shoes. So I put it on and did the last 30 miles with the pack on my back and uh, managed it. So that'll tell you how tough Kerry is. I'd say that would have been interesting now if the Texas Rangers were out on the course, mm, looking mm, at those tracks. Mm. Andy, would you think that this year was your most successful attempt at the race? No, I wouldn't, because uh, the first year I attempted it, I actually got um, way past name, up as far as Temple Noah, or nearly to Temple Noah, and I dropped out there. Now, that's only maybe 25, 30 miles from the end, but at that stage, I mean, the sleep deprivation was absolutely crazy and I just had to go. Um, and there was a car waiting to, to bring me back to Killarney, so I took it. So that mountain that you mentioned outside of Cahar Daniel, mm. you had climbed that mountain before? Yeah, I had, yeah, yeah. So you knew what to expect, so it wasn't as if you were going into the unknown. Do you not think if you took a chance on it that that might have broken the back for you? Yeah, I think it did. I mean, the one thing on the hard thing about it, uh, what I find anyway is staying motivated once you're exhausted. If you can find a way to stay motivated, yeah, I probably uh, there's no doubt about it. This year, I could have gone further, but the motivation left me in Car Daniel because of the comfort, and that was it. I wasn't physically destroyed. I was just motivation just went. Are you going to do it next year? That's a good question. I meant, are you going to finish it next year? Um, that's also a good question. I um, yeah, I'll, I'll have another go at it. Yeah, yeah, I will. Yeah. What might you do differently? More mountain training this year. More mountain training. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think you really have to get event specific, don't you, when you're doing these races? Yeah, you do. And I mean, most of my events haven't. I mean, okay, yeah, I've done a few ultras over the years and all the rest in different terrains, but like, I think you need to be doing these very regularly in order to finish this one. Now, I'm just going to bring you back now to some of the stuff you've done before because I'm just wondering. 
because you were so experienced, do you think that might have made you a little bit complacent going into this? One of the races I didn't mention you had done was the Jungle Marathon, which is really, really tough. And you finished that because you would have gone into that race like overly prepared. So do you think that in your head you think, well, I've done all that. This is only Kerry. Yeah, I think that's definitely a part of it. Everyone thinks this is only Kerry, this is only Ireland. And Ireland is a great country, as most people will know, for catching out in the wrong weather. So, yeah, I was... um. I wouldn't say I was overly confident, but I really did think that I I had it. Yeah, I thought I was going to do it this year. Definitely. Yeah. But familiarity yeah. breeds contempt. Familiarity breeds contempt. Also, I knew the course. I knew where the big hills were. I knew where um where the stops were, and I knew how not to get lost. Um, I also knew it wasn't going to rain throughout the route this time. But what I couldn't account for is the usual uh, fatigue that just builds up in that race because of the elevation and um, the continuous up and down, and basically it's, it just feels kind of endless. Now you mentioned trail shoes and also training in the mountains. If I'm thinking about this race for next year, what advice would you give me? What should I be doing? I would say, yeah, get up the mountains, get onto the trails as much as you can. And um, I would also recommend you would bring a pack, which you run with the pack, get used to your gear so it just becomes completely second nature and get a very powerful torch because um, sometimes the head torch is, okay, there, there's a minimum of 200 lumens, but I also had a handheld torch, which was absolutely brilliant for illuminating the mountains this year. Ian Keith actually mentioned the same thing. He overdoes it with light yeah, because it can make the difference with route selection, especially at night time. Mm. A shadow can actually block off the right direction. You know, you can be going straight, there's a turn left, and it's just not there because of a shadow. Yeah, yeah. Okay, Andy, well, thanks very much for your time, and I think this will be very, very useful for somebody prepping themselves for next year, and your big takeaway then is trail shoes and get yourself into the mountains and do a lot of mountain work. Hopefully next year we get a bit more of a success story of you. Yep, that's grand. Thanks, John. And now we have James Morrissey, one of the race finishers. James, you had quite an enjoyable event from what I can gather. I was tracking you online. You seemed to run a very steady pace race. That was me dot watching on the screen. How did it actually go? Yeah, a really good year this year. Uh, started off in my own comfort zone up until Lord Brandon's cottage. Then felt pretty good and kicked on from there. And really had no issues and really enjoyed the race up until waterville and then waterville met up with my crew uh linked up with uh ray lawler and we kind of cracked on to Cahir daniel Cahir daniel on i struggled <laughs> i really struggled a bit just kind of went met that mental block that comes in these big races and then from sneem on just really enjoying it really enjoyed the characters around me kind of felt like the time was on my side and enjoyed the race and it was beautiful beautiful weather too Right, well done on that. Now let's take it back to a week before the race. How did your final preparation go? Final preparation is kind of just doing a small bit of jogging, nothing too hectic, a bit of spinning on the bike and just looking after my nutrition, making sure that's on point and doing a bit of stretching, nothing too strenuous, just light and shaking out the legs continuously. The race started early on, was it Friday morning? Yeah, it starts at six o'clock on Friday morning. When did you arrive in Killarney and how did you fare to travel? I took the Thursday off work and drove down Thursday morning. I think you need that time, so I spent most of the day kind of chilling out around Killarney and just hydrating and kind of walking and just not seizing up. And then there's the registration, which is in the afternoon, proceeded to that. The night before the race, what did you have as your last pre-race meal? My go-to, but I'd, I'd often have a, a pizza before it. So uh, we met up with a few friends and we went to a restaurant and... It was kind of nice to just chill and 
these guys had done it before as well so we kind of all had our own expectations and just had a nice uh, I think it was an artichoke pizza it's beautiful sounds delicious what time did you go to bed at what time did you wake up at and what did you have for breakfast so yeah I would have went to bed around half nine or so um, I'm lucky enough uh, I have a camper van so I kind of camped uh, close to the starting line didn't have the greatest night's sleep just because excitement nerves but I don't mind that I kind of listened to a few podcasts and kind of just stayed relaxed I don't get too agitated from not getting a good night's sleep and then got up the next morning and had some oats with some peanut butter and banana and washed it down with coconut water I drink a lot of coconut water leading up to a, an ultra event now, you mentioned having a camper van. You must find that a big advantage with these type races that you both, you don't have to travel to the start line in the morning. You more or less stay close to it. It's a godsend, really. It's kind of the way we set up our lives, myself and Rosa, so we can kind of be flexible in where we go and where we camp up for the night. And it really comes into its own after an event, to be honest. So I kind of I feel it, it improves my recovery because I can just instantly get into the van and have a bit of a kip and... It, it helps with my recovery big time. Now, when the race started, did you get caught up with the rush at the beginning or did you instantly set into your own pace and stick with your own plan? Oh, instantly to my own plan. There was a couple of guys that I'd really have loved to run alongside and chatted to, but no, you kind of have to set up your stall for what is a, a massive event. So there's a couple of guys that, as I say, they just went on past me, but I, I'm kind of confident in my own ability and I kind of just lagged back and, and I eased myself into it. Like the first to Lord Brandon's very much kind of a warm up for me. I don't want to do anything too strenuous that early in the race. And at what point in the race do you start to discover that you're on your own? Coming down out of the Breda Valley, I was by myself going into Glen Carr, which is quite early in the race. It's the second checkpoint. And I was pretty much by myself then the whole way until Waterville, which is uh, is kind of... It's it's a good chunk of the race, but I had no issues with it. I was I was in, enjoying it. Um, every now and again, I'd catch up with someone, or someone would catch up with me, and we'd have a few words. But you know what I mean. Everyone needs to go at their own pace and what's comfortable for them, because as I say, you don't want to expend too much energy at any point. Did you get lost at any stage? Would you say navigation is an important skill on this race? Navigation is definitely important. But you can get away without navigation. I'm lucky I've done lots of recce's on the route. I've done the route last year. As I say, I didn't get lost this year. Thankfully, it, it, it makes a big difference to your race. But I feel like if you're strategic and you are not comfortable with the race, it, like Filemore is a place where you kind of need to buddy up and get yourself through the night if you're at that stage. But this year I, I was quite comfortable. And you need to be comfortable out in those conditions by yourself. I noticed that when I was following it online that on occasion you get somebody going off course and then they'd be back on course fairly quickly. Were you using some kind of a tracking device and had you got communication back with the race headquarters? Yeah, so Eileen Daly is the race director and she does a fantastic job keeping an eye on us all and it gives you great peace of mind when you're going out there. Like she's running the race with you and keeping an eye on your dot and making sure you're not going off track. So last year, unfortunately, I did go uh, off course and within about 15 minutes, she got in touch with me and said, James, you need to go back and take the next right. And next thing I was back on route again. And it's it's great peace of mind to have when you take on a big event like the Kerry Way. And that's something to note for anybody who's thinking of trying it next year that would be a bit fearful of getting lost out in the mountains. Oh, definitely, definitely, yeah. Was there a stage in the race where you felt like giving up? Oh, definitely, yeah. 
during the night section between Carter Daniel and Sneem, it took me ages of stopping and starting. I was enjoying the beauty of the night, the stars and everything. But mentally, I was just like, oh, James, you've enough done this year. Take a break. No one's going to say anything to you. But my crew were fantastic. Uh, Neil and Rosa just kind of says, get to the next checkpoint and we'll have something ready for you there. Or will, what, will you want the hiking poles? They just kept asking me questions that were kind of related to the race. And I was answering them. And next thing, I was kind of mentally setting myself up to get to the next checkpoint. So they were they were amazing. And they never kind of coddled me in any way and kind of gave me the attention they just kind of asked me questions that kind of progressed my race personally i think having a support crew is a big advantage even knowing that there's going to be a friendly face at, at the next checkpoint does help and nobody's going to look after you like your own support crew so yeah i'd have to agree with that that is a big advantage so would you recommend that if anybody is thinking of taking part in this race that a support crew is something that they would try and get together Oh, definitely, yeah. If if you're a first timer, it 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 really enhances your chances of getting through. I only met my support crew in Waterville, and that's the way we'd worked it last year. So, um, I was lucky enough to have the same two, uh, Rose and Neil, support me again this year, and they they were just so well drilled, and they knew what to expect, and they were great support. Was it necessary for them to keep coaching you, or when you got out of that dip, did you manage to actually just kind of keep going by yourself? To get to Sneem, I needed their help, but after Sneem, it was great to be able to enjoy it with them. Last year was kind of such a grueling event in terms of the weather, my lack of experience, and you know what I mean? This year, we were really able to enjoy it as a team, and we were having some laughs in Car Daniel at the checkpoint. One of the supporting crew came up after the event and said, you were like three friends in a coffee shop or in a pub. You were just doing so much laughing. And yeah, it was really special to look back on the event and say that I had the right people with me and we had a bit of fun. So it was kind of cool. Now tell me a little bit about the kit you were using and how comfortable you were during the race. Yeah, so I typically wear Salomon shoes. I find that they're a good fit for me. No in particular brand or, or make of them, but I just find Salomon a good fit for me. Uh, have a Salomon backpack as well. And this year, during the night section, uh, just from past experience last year, I found I needed a kind of a heavier jacket to keep warm. And I actually used a sailing smock. It's kind of a little bit thicker and it kind of it, it's breathable. I, I've used it for rowing in the past and uh, I found it a good and uh, just for that section from Cahar Daniel to Sneem. And then I was able to fold it up and give it to my crew and just got me through the colder part of the night. Did you have walking poles? Yeah, it's something I had in Filemore because that's kind of a technical section from Filemore to Waterville. A lot of hills and bog. And I think a lot of people put poles for that checkpoint. And then I might use them sporadically throughout then. But um, yeah, definitely for that section, I'd recommend having them. Poles seem to be becoming a lot more popular. And I'd be interested in having a look at how many finishers use poles and how many that didn't finish weren't using poles, just to see how, how that balances out. Is there anything with your kit that you wouldn't be without? Or is there anything that you wish you had? No, I, I, I think you're, once you're at the starting line, you've set out your lot. I put a lot of time into my drop bags in terms of what nutrition I'd have at each stage. Numerous pairs of socks, nice to change them, nice to keep the feet dry. And yeah, I think once you're at the starting line, you've kind of committed to it. You, whatever you have, you have, and, and it's time to just crack on at that point. The poles are important, though, I think. 
Can you tell me a little bit about your training in the build-up to this race? So training, it required a lot of time on my feet, getting used to being on my feet for long hours. I spent, I'd done a small bit of interval training, would have spent a lot of time with Rose in the mountains as well, around Wicklow, and I spent a lot of time then uh, running up and down along the canal here in Salins, where we're living at the moment. If I was planning on doing the race next year, what advice would you give me? Is there any races in particular you would say I should try as a practice event? Kerry Way is kind of, kind of you need to be used to running in adverse conditions. I ran the Galti 7.7s this year, a very tough race uh, across kind of uneven terrain, and I found that very good uh, in the build-up to it. Uh, the Schlee uh, down in Mill Street in February, you kind of have to get used to running in the... In, tired and cold during those kind of wintry conditions coming into September so if you do the likes of the, the Wicklow Way it's more of a summer race and it goes a lot of, a lot of fire road I find and you're not going to get those conditions necessarily down in Kerry in September so you kind of need to go out and find those those tougher races so I done the Ballyhoora Midnight Marathon and it's kind of only a friendly event but I found that really stood to me as well. Okay, that's interesting. The best way to train for an event, I suppose, is to get specific. So some of those races that you've mentioned, I might get the links to them off you and, and put them up in the show notes. Yeah, the majority of them are actually through the Imrail website as well, so they're fantastic events. Now, you mentioned your race nutrition. I didn't touch on that. Can you tell me a little bit about what you had during the race, what you were carrying with you and what you had at the checkpoints? Yeah, so this year um, didn't have quite as much nutrition as last year in terms of it was a lot more specific, a lot more whole foods. I try and have a lot of fruits for the night section. I just read somewhere a long time ago that vitamin C is better at keeping you awake. And then I kind of save off on the caffeine and the sugars for the latter half of the race or the last quarter. And then I really start drinking Coke and sugary stuff. And and I kind of save off on gels in the early part. I kind of hold off on them until the morning because I feel like you're so determined to get through the night, you're mentally aware, and then come morning, you kind of your your senses dip a small bit. So it's nice to bring them back up again with a bit of a kick. Now, just out of curiosity, you've done the Kerryway Ultralight back in 2017. You've done the Kerryway Ultra 2018 and 2019. Do you think you'll be back there again next year? Yeah, it's already in the schedule for next year. The way my year panned out, 2018 was a really tough year in terms of the conditions. 2019 was just about getting there and enjoying it and kind of making up for 2018 and and just really having a smile on my face at the finish line. And 2020, I'm sure I'll come up with another goal. There's always something different you can achieve every year you go back and even completing it in itself. That's, That's a massive, massive achievement. An interesting fact about this race is a lot of the runners seem to be there for the second or third time. Anyone I've spoke to who has done the race has either done it previously or is going to do it again. That seems to be a very unique feature which says a lot for the race. Uh, unlike any other race, there's a brunch the next morning and we just love going to that. You get to hear about everyone's stories about how they got on, where they might have went lost, where it went wrong even for them. And like there were so many cool people there that have done other races and, and it's great to kind of meet up with those people and you know share the love for the race pretty much. That's some great information. Before we finish up, is there anything you think that you can kind of add to the conversation that might help somebody in, that's thinking about the race next year? Yeah, Eileen Daly, the race director, she organises recce's uh, earlier in the year and they're well worth doing. Uh, she often gets along the likes of John Healy or experienced runners who've done it and you get to tap into their knowledge and they've, they really helped me, uh, induct me into the sport and well worth doing. Okay, James, thanks again. And we might get you back to talk about some of your other adventures in another podcast. Thanks for having me, John. 
And last but not least, we have Brian Buckley, this year's race winner. You can listen to Brian's experience in more detail in one of the previous episodes of the podcast. Brian, we spoke to you previously in an episode about the Kerry Ultra, and I just wanted to do something short about the athlete experience. Can you tell me a little bit about your prep for the race, what you did in the week leading up to it? So in the week leading up, it was mainly just making sure that I was well rested for the morning of the race. I probably made, maybe ran two or three kind of four or five mile um, kind of short easy runs that week and then it was just a case of eating nice healthy food for the week like lots of good vegetables and uh, fruit and plenty of pasta plenty of carbs and then just getting a couple of decent nights sleep kind of that week with your peak week what kind of distance would you have been doing I wouldn't be doing a whole lot of mileage like I think in generally I kind of do 40 to 70 ish miles so Usually, like a peak week for me would be around the seventy mile marker. But with that, then I, I'd I'd like to kind of do kind of three days, maybe consecutively, where where I'm getting kind of three decent uh, long runs in, in a row. So I think this year, I think it was back in maybe June, I did a kind of week where I did a twenty mile trail run. Then the following day, I did like twenty seven miles, I think, around the Kerry Way. And then the following day after that, then I think I did training run in the Reeks where I did Karen Tool twice. So I think kind of camped about 62, 63 miles over three days. Okay, so you got an event specific. So you were actually training on the terrain that you were going to be racing on. That's right, yeah. So I'd like to, you know, get the body used to kind of the race that I'm aiming for. So I find, you know, that get get down and get a recce of the course, you know, it, it prepares you physically and mentally for the race, you know. That makes perfect sense that mentally you would have a little bit more confidence having been on the terrain and getting used to seeing where some of the markers are and you don't have to think about where you're going. That's it. I mean, on every course there probably is a couple of points where, you know, markers might be a small bit hidden, um, you know, that maybe the turn isn't as obvious as you, as you think. So it's good to kind of get the mind working, you know, and, and, and just watch out for these spots when race day comes then. And what was your taper week like? The week before, was it? So... Yes, the week leading into the race. Just two, three kind of short runs, maybe four or five miles, probably up until the Wednesday and then do anything till the Friday morning. Now your last meal before the race, that being what you had the day before. The day before I would have had kind of two meals. So before I went to Clarny, I just had a big plate of pasta with eggs, spinach, beetroot, tomato, avocado, plenty of water that day. And then I just had another kind of small bit then that night. So just I think it was a bit of a beetroot salad with uh, sweet potato and it was either turkey or chicken I can't recall but you know some, something along those lines The race has an early start so what time did you go to bed at? So I went to bed I'd say around half ten and the plan then was to get up at half four I didn't really get a, a great night's sleep I'd say you know just a mixture of kind of excitement and nerves or whatever but um, I think I got up at half four then and, and had breakfast that would have consisted of a big bowl of porridge with chia seed banana bit of strawberry uh, honey maybe a small bit of dark chocolate in as well. And plus the night before, you're kind of anxious about not sleeping it in. That's it. So I, I'd always find that the night before a big race, I'd never get, get a good night's sleep. So I, I think it's key to try and get two or three nights before that, you know, get, get some good hours in those nights. When the race started, did you have your own start or did you get caught up with the rush and just take off? No, I was conscious to, to do my own thing, so I just kind of held back and, you know, I took it ni- nice and easy. The plan from the outset was to go off really, really slowly and just kind of you know, let the leaders do what they want to do and just see how the race panned out then. And how was your navigation during the race? Any issues? 
Uh, no, no issues. Um, you know, it's it's pretty well marked out. So I'd done the race last year, so I kind of I knew the route anyway, and I'd recceed the nighttime section, um, last year as well. So like, uh, there was no issues with with navigation really. You know, is there any item that you were carrying that you were really glad you had? Something that you would see as being a lifesaver in a race like this? I suppose just you know a decent jacket, you know, a good waterproof jacket. No, we didn't really need it this year because the weather was was pretty good. It rained the start, but it was only a bit of drizzle, and uh, after that, then the, the weather was good. And I suppose good pair of trail shoes. You know, I suppose when you're doing a race of this length, you, you kind of really need to look after your feet. So the footwear is probably probably the number one thing. You know. And what footwear were you using? I used the Columbia Transalp FKT2. Now I'd used them. Uh, last year for the carry away and I used them for kind of any long long race this year and I think they just they're kind of perfect for races of this length you know they're they're very comfortable but they offer good grip you know and support so it's it's kind of hard to find a shoe that does both you know f- has good grip and is very comfortable for for long races so I th- I think they stack up pretty well. Is there anything you wish that you had? Um, who. Not really. I think I, I think they had everything sorted. Like we had it well planned out. Maybe a bit of kind of more natural food earlier on in the race. I, I was kind of working on energy chews and cereal bars at the start of the race, but the second half on, I, I was just eating kind of chicken and avocado wraps. So it was a lot easier on the stomach, you know. What about walking poles for an event like this? Would you recommend them? Poles, I, I, they're vital, you know. Um, I think I got the poles out around the Black Valley, so I was probably about twenty-three k into the race. I had a Solomon quiver; it's like kind of holder for the poles. And once I took them out of that, I'd never used it again. Like, oh, you know, I might as well have had a chicken baguette or something in the in the, in the quiver because I I didn't need it. I just ha- I had the poles out the whole time after that, so I was using them on the uphills. And then if I was you know, running on the flat or on the downhill, I just just held them in my hands. So they're a great advantage to have, especially you know going uphill. I find it, it for using the poles, it saves your back. You're not crouched over, so you're you're keeping your back upright and you're more comfortable. So you're you're less likely to stiffen up in your your back and your neck. And what kind of a backpack were you using? So I think I had this, the Salomon eight liter. Um, just the it's got the two two pockets at the front with the soft flasks. And it's got a couple extra pockets then, you know, for just, you know, anything else you need, like the bars or gels or, um, you know, your phone and anything. So everything is kind of fairly accessible. And is that the same bag that you used in 2018? No, I upgraded this year. So I think I was using an older model last year. So I think I picked up this one, a newer, newer version this year. Now, during the race, was there any time during it that you felt like giving in? Um, Not really. Um, I, I kind of had a bit of a bad patch maybe just before got more and i think that was just down to the food um i think my stomach was was kind of coming at me a small bit uh just from kind of using you know the, the tailwind and and energy chews and and i think i just needed kind of you know natural natural food you know and something a bit more savory than than, than what i was using up to that point well, you mentioned a little bit about your nutrition there, so I'm going to ask you about your hydration. Now, you mentioned tailwind, so you're obviously drinking some of your calories. Were you taking water or any other fluids on board? So I think from the, for the first half of the race, it was uh, practically all tailwind. So it was just two bottles between each checkpoint um, with the tailwind mixed in. And then from the, uh, from the, the second half of the race, then it was water and Pepsi after that. 
Now, cola seems to be kind of a, a popular choice during races like this because of the, the caffeine combined with the sugar. The sugar gives you energy and the caffeine helps to keep you mentally stimulated, so it helps with your concentration. Do you find that you get a bit of a kick from when you start taking it? I uh, de- definitely like um you know you, you you definitely need that kind of sugar rush and 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 the caffeine definitely helps especially in a race race of this length you know where where sleep deprivation might might come in at the latter part of the race. You're the two-time finisher of this race and this year you were the race winner. In contrast, there are many other competitors who have returned to this race a few years and haven't finished it. Why do you think that is? I think um I think this year we, I kind of went down, you know, last year we went down with the the objective was just to finish the race um, because I, I'd never kind of done any race of this distance before. So going down this year, like I knew I knew I had the endurance to finish the race. I knew I was kind of mentally mentally tough to finish the race. Um, and we just kind of, we sat down and, and we made a plan and, and, and basically we kind of executed the plan um, as best we could. You know, the plan basically was to kind of run the first half of the race, you know, with my head you know just run at my own pace don't get sucked into you know running too fast and um it, it definitely paid dividends in, in the second half then what advice would you give to others thinking of taking part in this race or something similar with regards either nutrition training or kit select try and break the race down probably into se- segments is 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 you know is is definitely something that people should be looking at you know if you lo- if you look at a race in its entirety it can be fairly daunting, you know, when you're starting off, just break it down, checkpoint to checkpoint, and focus from getting from one to the other. Uh, from a training point of view, I suppose I find doing long runs kind of back-to-back is de- is definitely beneficial. Um, you know, I, I don't think going out and running a 50-mile or 60-mile training run, you know, you're better off splitting into to two or three days and, and, and running on tired legs. Yeah, I'd agree with that. If you do a training run that's too long, it's going to take you too long to recover, so you're losing the training adaption, whereby if you do a race of what I would call medium distance, something that would be 30, 40 kilometres, I'm in kilometres, that your body will feel the effort from it, you will have stressed the body, but the adaption happens quicker, and although you'll you'll be training on tired legs, you will still be that bit recovered, and it allows continuous training. Yeah, no, I remember having a chat with Barry Hartnett actually before last year's race and, and I think he was telling me that um, he'd, he'd rarely go over the kind of four hour mark for, for his for any of his training runs. Like I think when, once you get over that, that mark you're kind of, you know, you're, you're, you're nearly into damaging, you know, the body and, and, and it's going to take a lot, lot, lot longer to recover. Yeah, I'd agree with that. You, can, you should only do what you can recover from. So you have to have the recovery time. Otherwise, I think the training can be wasted. You did the Slee Gaeltuck Muscari, and that seems to be a popular race with other competitors. Would you recommend that as a training run or maybe race simulation? Yeah, it's it's definitely a race for you know anybody who's got aspirations to run the Kerryway in the future. You know, it's it's very similar in in terrain. It's similar, you know, there's there's checkpoints along the way, kind of similar distance, you know, every kind of twenty twenty five k, um, and it's you know it's it's a, it's like for like you know it's waymark trail it's got it's got all the kind of the hallmarks of the carryway you know it's terrain wise you know it's got got kind of the bogginess of the, of, of the carryway so yeah it's definitely definitely one to try out for anyone who's looking looking to do it will you plan on doing the race again next year yeah it's um probably probably the next race for me anyway i'd say will be will be the sleeve well um so yeah looking at that one again for 2020 and um, what about the carryway ultra um i think it'll probably 
boiled down to the the lottery for the UTMB. So I'll throw the name in the hat for that. And if I don't get in, then I I'll be looking at going back down to the carryway again. Well, that's a reason rather than an excuse for not doing it. Okay, Brian, thanks very much for all that useful information, and I'll talk to you again soon. No problem. Thanks, John.